Good morning. This is Robert J. Sawyer, and you are listening to Sandwiches at Irregular Hours. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for January 2nd, 2024. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Clairvoyant Chapassimflow, Steve. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Happy New Year, Chip. Happy New Year, everybody out there. What an amazing journey it's been. 2024 is the future, my friend. It is. In fact, I have an epiphany, Steve. <laughs> What's your epiphany? Well, it's Saturday's epiphany, Steve. <laughs> your epiphany is that saturday's epiphany <laughs> you've just suddenly realized that three wise men are coming on saturday they got gifts steve they have gifts that's why i watch the three stooges on saturday because three wise guys <laughs> it's kind of the same it's a modern twist <laughs> 2024 is the setting of Highlander to the quickening from 1991 so there can be only one <laughs> Film at 11. Reason to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, have seen a couple of different, very different movies this week. The first one is Ferrari, the brand new story of Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis. It is. Um, in fact, it's a very exciting movie. I was wondering what Ben Solo was doing. And uh, he is starring as uh, Enzo Ferrari, Steve. Wait, he's a driver? Adam Driver is playing a driver? Is exactly. Pe wait, is Penelope Cruz cruising? <laughs> well, they set this up pretty well, didn't they, Steve? <laughs> it's the role I was born to play, baby. <laughs> well, this is um, this is a, a, a an adult film or a, a grown-up film. And it's about life being very complicated. So I'm going to beat it up real quickly. Um, the racing scenes could have been better. I mean, we saw Gran Turismo earlier this year, which was incredibly exciting. The racings were are wonderful. And we have racings in this. There's a thousand mile race that ends this movie. And um, anyway, that's very exciting. We spent a lot of time learning about how complicated Enzo Ferrari's life is. And that may be the message of this movie is that during the war, he um, had an affair with a person who he, he fell in love with, and they had a son. And this son is going to turn a certain age, and it's going to be whether this boy is going to be able to take Ferrari's name or not, is really what the message is. But his first wife, Laura Ferrari, who is Penelope Cruz, they lost their boy. He died. In fact, that was one of the turning points in their relationship. Laura and Enzo had a very passionate relationship, but to experience a child's death together, mm -hmm. they're both mourning the loss of this son. I mean, obviously, just the innocence of that moment. And they're just not coming to terms with it. Uh, Enzo is diving into racing. He's a brilliant person. He describes his company as a, a race car company that just happens to make automobiles. Mm -hmm. And to, com to compare that to a 
Jaguar, a competing company, he said they're a, a car company that races cars. Hmm. And so the finances are just a mess. That is Laura Ferrari's job, is to keep the company afloat. So she is making the deals with the bank. She is making sure the payroll is being met and all this other stuff. So you got all the, the stress of that going on, the stress of a passing child, and Enzo Ferrari's genius of leading a team, in a, a racing team and a car company. One of the the other stories that is not really explicitly mentioned, but you can see it, is how disposable race car drivers are. They are kind of like astronauts. You know, there's a few that are really, really good, but it's a high-risk environment. And when they can't compete anymore, many times they die. Hmm. And uh, we get to see that happening. And so on this 1,000-mile trip, there is a, um, a tragedy that ends up happening that is documented. I won't give away everything on this, but Enzo Ferrari basically is having a double life. He's got two wives, ultimately, um, and ultimately two families. Hmm. And um, Penelope Cruz's character, the, the wife, is um, is struggling. She's really, really struggling, not with the affair, not with the child, because she just tends to do all the right things. But just recognizing um, that the weight of life can can really hold you down. Mm. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating story. I'll say sixty out of hundred. This, this movie is going to go for like movie of the year. I, yeah. I just don't see it. Okay. When I get to movies like this, this is this holds no interest for me. Uh, I don't enjoy automobiles. I have an automobile. I, I take it on road trips and I enjoy the road trip, but the, the idea of racing cars hate, holds no appeal for me. Well, it's, what's interesting to me about that is how much you love technology. And that was the technology of its day. Okay. There you go. You also saw a Netflix movie. This is May, December, uh, ripped from the tabloid headlines. Uh, the, a woman falls in love with a 13-year-old and marries him and has children. This is a film that, that was released on Netflix on December 1st. I, I got my Netflix um, a subscription to be able to watch Maestro. And so I'm trying to catch all the, the movies. This is another one of those movies that's going to attempt. It, was, it did have a theatrical release, but it wasn't a very long window. But it will try to go for um, movie of the year. So our story is that there was a, we are not showing up when the affair happened. We're showing up where this couple um, who eventually got married, he was a, originally a 13-year-old boy mm -hmm. having an affair with a 35, 36-year-old woman. And we have a, an actress, uh, Princess Amatala, and she uh, is working on her um, she's going to, there's a movie going to be made about the story mm -hmm. and she's going to be the actress or the actor that ends up playing, um, this woman. And she's trying to get into, you know, kind of learn a little bit about the family. And so this is an interesting film, uh, because we are discovering the story along with the actress. So Natalie Portman is interviewing the attorneys, the friends, the neighbors, the family, and is there taking notes 
trying to learn a little bit about this. Julia Moore is the um, the wife, the mother of these children. Their children at the time, I think, are 23 and 18. Uh, one's graduating from uh, high school. And so there's parties going on and all this other stuff. But we have the husband, who is uh, significantly younger. And this uh, story is kind of bringing up his thoughts because he is now an adult. He is either a nurse, a doctor, nurse practitioner, something like that. He is a very smart man. And he's reliving, just kind of being brought back to that time he was 13 when this incident happened. They got caught. He was 13 once again. She was pregnant, went to jail, had the baby in jail. And basically when they got when she got out, they got married and they just started building their life together. We we learned that the, the mother is mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what level of that, I, I don't know. Obviously, having some emotional issues going on. Why else would an adult significantly older than a 13-year-old have an affair with right. a 13-year-old? Um, but at the same time, when this this man is saying, hey, listen, um, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'd like to talk a little bit about this. And she goes, no, 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 you manipulated me. You wanted this. You forced this upon me. And boy, what a what a tough conversation to uh, have avoided for all this time where, you know, he is thinking like, oh, no, no, I was a 13 year old when this happened. This is he certainly he certainly made the best of it. His children are successful. Mm-hmm. They're succeeding in life, but at the same time, he is having to, to to deal with this. He also is dealing with Natalie Portman's character. Uh, eventually, they end up having a sexual encounter together. As Natalie Portman's character is a method actress and is trying to relive these moments as she's thinking about this character, and. Um, after the event ends up happening, she says something like, you know, you know, as I'm researching this story, and he just looks up at her and says, this isn't a story. This is my life. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he just recognizes that where he thought he had a confidant, a person who could really understand it, he once again was alone and being manipulated. He eventually just kind of right at the, that same scene, he goes, why were we sleeping together? And she goes, well, this is what grownups do. Like, this is just a, a normal thing to be manipulated like that. Once and again, using him in the same way that the, the wife did. Mm-hmm. This is a grown-up film with grown-up subjects and grown-up thoughts. I'm going to say 65 out of 100 again. This is a good film. It's going to go for maybe picture of the year. I, I, once again, I don't see it, but it certainly is a complex film and one to think about. Much more complex than the Ferrari was. Yeah, I, I have no interest in Mary Kay Letourneau's story. Once again, this is a story that we've heard for 30 years. This guy who is now 40, uh, living through this over and over again, being asked over and over again about this situation. As an educator, I have to think very carefully about who my students are and, and giving them what they need. Uh, this is that not the story that I, I want to listen to. So I'm reading a book right now that we won't discuss on, on, on this um, podcast, but one of the arguments is that you, you can't even discuss the story unless it's among you know friends and true confidants, not at work, 
not in a professional environment or anything like that. So anyway, it's it's a fascinating. It's we're living in fascinating times, and and this is certainly a story of why it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Steve, let's lighten things up. You got to see something on a much more um, let's just say pop culture level. Yes. Marvel has given us a gift for the new year. The series, what if season two dropped on Disney plus what they decided to do was they had nine 30 minute episodes and they put out one a day on Disney plus from December 22nd through December 30th, nine little short stories, very much in the twilight zone style of short storytelling with the characters of the MCU so that these are characters that you are familiar with taking their story and turning it 90 degrees or 180 degrees and changing what if tony stark didn't die in this situation or what if tony stark uh didn't escape a certain situation and went on to meet uh a a certain character i don't want to i don't want to spoil any of these stories they are all very well told simple ideas that are a fun roller coaster all of the original actors came back to voice all of the characters with the exception of robert downey jr he was not interested in voicing tony stark any longer so they got a voice actor to play that part and it was it was fine everything's fine uh this is so much fun the watcher which is a character that we know from the comics has been watchers dave yeah all of the possibilities he's been looking into all of the multiverse and seeing what's happening and he has an interesting quote he says i don't do sequels normally what's the point of revisiting the story when there are infinite stories to be told and i found that an interesting message from marvel marvel being this juggernaut of intellectual property that they have all of these stories to be told why are we getting all of the sequels instead of the new stories. I look forward to the future of Marvel after what if, because just as we saw in the first season of what if in 2021, this is going to change the Marvel cinematic universe. Season two introduces us to a new character, brand new character, never seen in comics, never seen in the MCU. Her name is Kahari. She is a Mohawk woman who has a very uh, interesting quest to discover her power in this story. The story is told almost entirely in the Mohawk language. And I look forward to what they're going to do with Kahari going forward in the story. Is she a mutant? Uh, she is not a mutant. She is, she receives a power from a, an alien force. Okay. She, she's more of a Captain Marvel type superhero than a mutant type superhero. I'm wondering if they're using this to introduce the X-Men. I don't believe so. I don't think so. I think this is a completely new character who is going to go on and be a part of the story and, and take us in a direction where we can tell a new story instead of a sequel, instead of telling the old stories over and over again. Okay. I, I look forward to this. I love what if, what if is my favorite genre. I love the idea of 
old history being taken and changed. What if this happened or that happened? That's why I love sliders. That's the whole concept of the TV show sliders is what if on the infinite number of worlds, this happened instead of the history that really happened. I, I suggest what if on Disney plus. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. Oh boy, I have a special surprise for you this week, Chip. I listened to a full cast audio adventure on audible this week. This is called the downloaded and it was written by Robert J Sawyer. You'll remember Robert J Sawyer. We had on the, on the other show. Remember the other show <laughs> we had during the pandemic sandwiches at irregular hours. Robert J Sawyer is, is the godfather of sci-fi in Canada. And he gave us a gift this week. What is interesting also is, is how they chose to release this. Because isn't mm -hmm. the book going to be released at a different time? Yes. Robert J. Sawyer has written a book, and the book will be released in May of 2024, six months after this full cast audio adventure. This is a, a thing that Audible has been doing for a while now. We've covered a couple of these where Audible gets the rights to this story, creates an audio version of this, and then the book is released six months later. Fascinating. So tell us a little bit about this book. Okay. So the storyline that you're going to, you're, <laughs> this is one of Steve's books for sure. The storyline is the year 2059. That's so far away, Steve. It's not that far away. Robert. So far Steve, away, Steve. Uh, we, uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to the idea of we are. It's the, it's the, the distant future, Steve, the year 2000. The, well, it's 20, happy 2024, everybody. <laughs> In the very near future, a group of people have the opportunity to undergo cryonic suspension, have their consciousness uploaded into a computer while their body is resting in cryonic sleep. Nerd. Uh -huh. I love this. Nerd. I love this to no end. <laughs> this is my favorite story. You know this. We've talked about this for so many years. The singularity, the moment maybe <laughs> in our lifetime where we can upload our consciousness to a computer and live on is what I uh, absolutely talk about every week on this show. It's like a Cylon, Steve, or the guy in the Babaverse. Yes, I'm so I'm ready for that. I'm so ready to be the captain of a ship going to different places. So these people, long, long distances between planets, very six quickly. years between things. Yeah, you can have a lot to uh -huh. think about at that time. Aha! Uh -huh. So there's the rub. We are going to cryonically suspend these people. There's two different groups. One is a group of astronauts who are headed to a very, very far away planet for colonization. They are going to be cryonically sleeping while their minds are in a computer and actively going through a story there. We've, we've read that story before many times as well. There's a second group of people, however, that are convicted murderers who are serving a virtual reality sentence. Instead of going to prison for a number of years, they are suspended animation and their minds are in this computerized world do we call them walt disney's 
that never happened to Walt Disney. It's not true. That, <laughs> that never happened. And Mickey Mouse is not a part of today's. Oh, Mickey Mouse. We'll get to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> the idea of these murderers getting to be experimented upon is something that we've done forever. Prisoners are uh, a group of people that might volunteer sort of to be a part of these experiments. And the experiment here is, can we put you into a cryonic sleep for a number of months and let your mind think that it's a number of years and rehabilitate you through this virtual reality prison? This all sounds Fine. So far, Robert J. Sawyer certainly lines up these two groups. Astronauts want to get to a place. It's going to take a long time. They're going to make it feel like it's a short amount of time because their minds can be you know, manipulated in the time piece. These prisoners are going to be imprisoned for a short amount of time, but their minds are going to think it's a long period of time. Then Robert J. Sawyer throws us the curveball that there's an asteroid that destroys the earth and these people are stuck in their cryosleep for 500 years. Both groups wake up 500 years later when the timer goes off. <laughs> of course, there's a timer. 500-year timer that says the astronauts should have reached their location by now and the all of these people wake up to find a destroyed world where they have to work together to discover how to survive on this planet. Are they sweaty, Steve? Is it like the sweaty seventies? I, I anticipate that the, that the actors in the movie version of this will be the sweaty seventies growling. Ah, oh, you did it. You blew it up. Very, very, very sweaty. Hands Lots of tan. Dirty, stinking ape. I love this story. Is, is this a Cain and Abel story? I mean, what we have is, you know, the highest version of human. You know, to be an astronaut, you're in super shape. You're super brilliant. And then, you know, we have the, the criminals as the <laughs> other group. And, of course, we get into the politics of that. This is one of the things that happens is they decide who's going to be in charge. Who is in charge of this group? Do you get to be in charge just because you're an astronaut, that you're going to go to a place because you're the commander of this group? Do you get to be in charge because you know something that the other group doesn't know? That is one of the many conversations that's had here. Robert J. Sawyer is able to put together such a wonderful character list every character in this is presented in such a way that you can think of what you would do in this situation if you had this knowledge or that knowledge and he's playing with the idea of we all live with imperfect knowledge that we don't know everything that we have to work with the information that we have in front of us does does the watcher interfere with this story steve I assume the watcher is watching carefully over this and does not participate in this story. That is a spoiler for what if the watcher does participate in what if season two. And he has another great line that I didn't give away because it's such a great line. This story. I eat this up. I eat this up. I could see this being made into a movie. This audio adventure version is five and a half hours of audio, which is a very short audio adventure, but it's a long movie. Brendan Fraser 
plays the main character in this audio adventure and his voice, his powerful voice certainly lends itself to the knowledgeable prisoner who is trying to find his way through this unbelievable situation. There's quite a few different characters. One, the one character that is the most interesting is there is a Russian scientist who in the virtual world that they've been living in for 500 years, they have adopted a gender swap in their life. And when they are brought back to corporeal form, they don't feel right in their old body and they have to decide how they're going to get through this second new adventure after 500 years in the digital lifestyle. Do the proclaimers sing a song in this? Go ahead. Tell me, tell me the proclaimers joke. I would walk 500 miles. (laughs) 500 years is not 500 miles. Your units of measure are wrong. I did the Kessel. <laughs> I did the Kessel See, run in thirteen parsecs. <laughs> it's a measurement of distance. That's not a time measurement. <laughs> I love this story. I look forward to what Robert J. Sawyer will bring us next. He is just an absolutely brilliant writer, and I'm so glad that we were able to talk to him in that other show that we did during the pandemic. And you can certainly find that in our show notes as well. It's such such fun thinking in science fiction. It's always fun with brilliant people who have incredible imaginations, mm-hmm. right? And then they're able to take that and then put it down. And you get a full cast um, presentation too. So this it. sounds like a fun story, Steve. It really sounds like a, a um, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a zeitgeist to 2024. It, uh, well, there is certainly some AI that is brought into this conversation. There's certainly an AI component. Uh, you would hate this book. You would not like this adventure. This is not your style of adventure, but I loved it. And I, I thought about keeping it as a Pambador monthly book, but it's not technically a book yet. It's still an audio adventure, which is fine with me. That's the downloaded published in 2023 by Robert J. Sawyer. Scroll with it. Brings to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about the zeitgeist of 2024. Happy 2024, everybody. Steve, I look forward to our um, AI overlords, and they'll probably do the show for us. Steve, when will we have to do the show? Uh, don't say that out loud because that is a thing. You you understand that that is a thing, right? That one of the jobs that the AI is coming for is podcasting, that they don't need us. They just need the show notes, and uh, AI could do the show. Well, who's going to play the silly men, Steve? Uh, it would be pretty simple. We are pretty flat characters, my friend. <laughs> AI-generated sci-fi novels uh, are part of this conversation. There's one that won a prestigious literary prize in China this week. Was it a lag with a lamp over it? <laughs> it's very prestigious. Oh, it was a major God. award, Steve. Right, it was a major award. <laughs> It's a major award. That's Italian, not Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, this happened in China. And basically, um, a Beijing University professor won second prize for a science fiction award using an AI-generated sci-fi novel. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, it's called The the title of the novel? 
the land of machine memories. How about that? The land of machine memories written by an AI, not creepy at all. That title. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh my. If they could only just figure us out, Steve. If We're they such only simpletons. dream of electric sheep. That's all, <laughs> all I ask. Uh-huh. Um, the, the novel follows a metaverse adventurer, Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on a quest to recover lost memories. This sounds like a story I would love, my friend. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the judges basically came back and did say that if it was going to be released, it would ultimately need to have some editing done to it. But yeah, the story's there. Yeah. That's what does correct. that tell you? This That's is what correct. the writer strike was 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 going against right there. And where did that information come from that's the rest of the writer strike that's our next story is where did that creativity come from was it pulling from other sources the new york times has sued OpenAI and microsoft for using its stories to train their chatbots that's the big question that came up in the writer strike the new york times argument is that OpenAI and microsoft are threatening the livelihood of the journalists who write those stories where the open AI was basically um, regurgitating what was effectively the same Senate structure, the same sentences inside the open AI, yeah. and also stealing from the New York Times their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. This is an intellectual property story. Who owns that copy? Who is the copyright holder? The author of those words who posted those words. If AI takes those words and uses them, is that illegal? The answer is yes. The overlords of AI think that that's not a problem, Steve. Right. Because the, they're just using ideas and putting them together. What's the problem? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Which brings us to this special day on January 1st every year. Um, Duke University makes a presentation. They release a list of, you know, the public domain day, Steve. They've announced it where our intellectual property from a particular time becomes fair use for everyone. So happy public domain day, everybody. You now own the rights to Steamboat Willie, which was the cartoon that created Mickey Mouse. You now own the rights to Tigger from a house at Pooh Corner, Peter Pan, the book version, and Mac the Knife, the song. So when the shark, when the shark bites. And with his teeth in, please be sure to use your intellectual property carefully. Everybody, please make sure that when you are creating a story with Steamboat Willie and Tigger and Peter Pan and, and Mac the knife, please don't make it a murder mystery. Uh, like, like what happened to Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> well, there's a whole list of things. Animal crackers, the Marx brothers, um, is now public domain. There's yeah. What the, the idea behind it is that after, all right, so one of the things the United States does real well is we actually enforce intellectual property law. Why do pills and pharmaceuticals cost so much? Because we allow those creators to patent those for a period of time. And then that patent is released, right? To recoup the cost of all of that creation of that. So if you create an intellectual property, Mickey Mouse, you own that, the use of that for a particular time. Mm-hmm. Now, Disney has fought this for a long time. It doesn't really matter. A long but the, time. 
But the version that exists in Steamboat Willie is now yours to use. Mm -hmm. And what it ultimately makes is it makes things that are inaccessible to people. Like now you can use it with fair use. So, you know, if you wanted to write some version of Alice in Wonderland or Snow White or um, Cinderella or something like that, I mean, Disney's used this for forever, mm -hmm. right? You can do that right now and you don't have to pay the rights to some dead entity in, in, in the past. So youth orchestras can use this, uh, libraries can use this, you can find it on the web. Anybody who wants to have access to it has access to it. AI can take this and make it a part of their normal thinking and they can publish whatever they want with this and nobody can sue them. Aha. Uh -huh. So as a copyright holder, you know, you get the revenue that's generated from your creation. Once it becomes free, then you can write things. I mean, Dave Barry wrote a version of Peter Pan um, just a few years ago. And it, it can just spur all sorts of creative uh, situations. And we want to have, uh, we want to create a situation where it encourages people to be creative mm -hmm. so that they can make a living doing their creative life. Um, once they pass away, their heirs get a period of time and then at that point, it's free for everyone to use. It really is kind of one of the special American days. Mm -hmm. And um, the alternative is some of the situations we have in China where um, they don't enforce intellectual property really well. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, your um, technology that you sent over to be manufactured is now being copied and sold at a very discounted rate. That's the issue that that's many people have seen with our, our trade with China. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe if you had an Apple watch, you wanted that new one, but um, somehow Apple uh, infringed on somebody's intellectual property and stopped the sale of it. So that is the zeitgeist of 2024 is, is intellectual property. What do we have control over? The public domain is a big, important part of my class study of intellectual property, trying to share with kids what is important in that idea that you can create, you should create, but when you create, you should own that creation and nobody should have the right to copy it. For a period of time. Or your lifetime plus a few years for your kids. Yep. And by the way, there are arguments against intellectual property too, but we'll just go with this. It's public domain day. It's a special day. Happy Steve, let me domain. mention something to you. Some oh, people boy. call football a religious experience. Oh boy. I loved this. I loved looking at the, the notes for this show and seeing how Chip's mind works. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to how Chip's mind works. Hot tart bowl edition. Go on. That's that's right, Steve. Um, the Pop-Tarts Bowl was this uh, this week. Kansas State defeated NC State in Orlando. And um, Pop-Tarts basically had the first edible mascot. So at the conclusion of the game, there was a religious ceremony that was uh, presented where the, um, I guess, the Pop-Tart, the, yes. the mascot, went into the toaster, Steve. Uh, a person then, in a costume shaped as a Pop-Tart went into a giant toaster on the field. Go on. And then at the bottom of the toaster, out popped the uh, 
the Pop-Tart. It was a great big Pop-Tart, Steve. It was the mascot, <laughs> I guess. And then at that moment, they um, they broke the body uh, in, in remembrance of the Pop-Tart, Steve. And they oh, shared it. Cool. They shared it among the, the winning team, Steve. So, you know, some people can share in this um, special ceremony, and some people didn't get to share in it, Steve. Yes, the person in the costume, shaped as a Pop-Tart, popped out of the bottom of the toaster, and then the winning team ate the Pop-Tart. So, Only so in Steve, America. Steve, I'm just thinking that every Sunday, um, at many, many churches across America, they have a, a ceremony that's very similar to this. Yes. And that's why I want to say that football in America can be a religious experience. Oh, my goodness. Epiphany Week and Pop-Tart Bowl come together in a way that is probably offensive on some very deep level. I I, I love God bless him, Steve. God bless him. Amen. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? If we're not only careful, if we can come back next week, Steve. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see after that conversation. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on all of the social medias for 2024. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Clairvoyant Chip Hessenflow. Happy New Year. I bet you knew that was coming. See you in the future. 